0: Welcome to The Course Reports, and thanks for tuning us in. This is the real deal behind the scenes, inside look into professional golf venues around the world. You love the game, you follow the game, well you found it, bringing it to you from a perspective that nobody else can. Inside the ropes, on the greens, the smooth and true facts, this is The Course Reports. I'm Curtis Tyrell, certified golf course superintendent and master greenkeeper. I'm your host. It's time to get on the green. It's time for The Course Reports. Welcome to The Course Reports. I am super excited to be bringing you Episode 3, and we have a fantastic podcast planned for you today. We're going to do this one a little bit different we've got some super busy people all over the country so we're going to do it two parts first part we're going to go to the valero texas open and the second over to the ana inspiration in rancho mirage california at mission hills country club before we do that i just want to remind you that you can find us on the course reports.com our new website will be up and coming soon with lots of great content you can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, Twitter, Instagram, and look for us soon on YouTube. But to start us off, we're going to go over to the TPC San Antonio with the Director of Golf Course Maintenance Operations, Certified Golf Course Superintendent, Robbie Robertson. Robbie, welcome to The Course
1: Reports. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, man, it's
0: great to have you, a veteran of many, many years of tournament golf. Uh, at the TPC of Scottsdale, and now at TPC San Antonio, you've been in this business for a long time—26 years or more. Is that right?
1: Ah, that is very true. I've uh, been in the golf business uh, since I was about 12, and that makes it about a 40-year stint. Now, only about uh, 38 of that was in golf maintenance. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is many summers and many. And many weekends
1: growing grass and taking care of the golfer no that's a lot of years of growing bent grass in the south and it's kind of nice to be on bermuda now but yeah yeah no doubt about that so that was bent grass at craig ranch i had bent grass at craig ranch and shangri-la resort in oklahoma and started out in kansas yeah so uh, a lot of bent grass experience and uh that's all right i'm getting my fill of the bermuda now i love it so Oh, well, that's awesome.
0: I mean, and for our listeners, if if you're curious, growing bent grass in in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or Oklahoma may be one of the hardest things to do there is. You have no idea how difficult it is to produce good greens, and the guys that do it successfully are are masters at at, uh, our profession. But, uh, Robbie, it it, it is something else, man. I, I tell you what, but... Uh, Robbie, so what, what we're doing with the course reports is, is we are trying to become, and, and I'm sure that, that we will be because I'd like to think positive, but we are, uh, we're trying to become the golfer's resource for information about the professional tournament venues from the PGA Tour to the LPGA, whether we go over to Europe, Australia, Latin America. We're going to profile all of the, the professional venues that are being played, and we're going to talk about the grass that they're growing, who's growing it, uh, the golf course, who built it, who designed it, all the things that you can't get on your regular network broadcast. That's what we're up to. So what do you think? Does it sound like a good idea? Oh, I
1: welcome it uh, completely. I think it's a great idea. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's been fun so far. You know, we're just at the beginning, and we really appreciate you being on. You know, you are uh, right around the corner here. The tournament is about to start. And uh, I want to get into what's going on out there at TPC San Antonio. But just a couple more things about your career before we do. You went to K-State.
1: I did. Uh, I I got the privilege of studying under uh, Jeff Nuss uh, when he was there. And uh, Rock Nusswall when he was an associate professor, by the way. So that's been a while back. But uh couple of smart guys for sure. Yeah, you bet. You bet. You know, K-State was a good time. I always say it was the best four years of my life and uh, my family doesn't like it too much, but uh, <laughs> it was a good time. And I went the science route back then thinking I would, I would move into research and what have you. And, you know, I went back to work and, and just never really made it back. So I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you've been in this a long time. How, how many times have you been asked by, friends and and whoever it may be that you encounter in in your life, they find out what you do, you get a degree for that? You actually went to college for that? Have you been asked that before?
1: (laughs) Very, very. I mean, I guess the best one is when my own father said, you're going to go to school to do what? Mow lawns. I said, well, not, not really. And then I had a grandmother that was an educator and she, 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 uh, there's a there's a degree for that well whatever you do just be the best at it and i said well grandma i'm gonna i'm gonna give that a good try so uh yeah you you get that every now and then you know when when i was at k-state in the 80s uh, you know you didn't get a whole lot of dates when you said that uh, you were studying turf grass management or turf grass science so you know i i'd go out yeah i'm an agricultural engineer type thing but uh yeah
0: well yeah you know i think it's important for uh, our listeners to know the the extent of the science and the university that are out there that are doing all kinds of fantastic work i mean that people talk about the technology of the game and they talk about the golf ball and the clubs and and all that stuff and that's really important but the the, the turf grass technology is just you know gone nuts from the ultra dwarf bermuda grasses that you're growing now to to bent grasses to Fest, you name it, it's it's a big deal. And at some point we're gonna have a podcast and we're gonna talk about all those programs. But so this is your first year at the TBC of San Antonio, right? But you've been with the tour for a long time now. So tell tell our listeners about your pathway to tbc San
1: Antonio. Okay, that'd be great. In two thousand six, I was the director of agronomy at a thirty-six hole resort in Oklahoma. And there, you know, Cal Roth which is just a staple in our industry, you know, of so many years, was a friend of mine for many years. And I had an opportunity, there was an opportunity in Florida and I'd called Cal for a recommendation uh, of all things. And and he said, well, he, Robbie, would you be you be willing to go to South Florida? And I said, well, I'll go anywhere for the tour type thing. And uh, he had me on a plane the next day to, to TPC Eagle Trace to, I uh, meet with Collier Miller uh, at, uh, down there. It's outside Fort Lauderdale at Coral Springs. And, you know, I, I got off the plane in a coat and tie. Collier, look at me. <laughs> you're not going to need that, brother. You know, sure. <laughs> a little bit of humidity and what have you. But, uh, you know, and and that that's what started my my tenure with the PGA Tour. I uh, was there. I had the opportunity to go to TPC Craig Ranch in 2007. Uh, when Eagle Trace and Heron Bay uh, sold, uh, they were sold. And, and so I, you know, I, I really loved the opportunity to go to Craig Grants. They were getting ready to have a tournament for the first time ever, which was the 2008 uh, Nationwide Tour Championship. So that what a great experience getting to set a golf course. Uh, you know, there was no TV plans. There was no tent plans. There was. Uh, none of that. So really getting into the weeds on on all the uh, right, you know, back of the house issues, etc. A lot of great golf course. You know, Tom Weisskopf did a great job designing that, and and uh, David Craig uh, at the time uh, was was a great owner. And we also had the 2012 uh, Web.com Tour Championship uh, there as well. And, and I think both of those still rank up there pretty yeah. high with the attendance in those rounds. One of my top goals with the tour was, you know, maybe. Uh, dip my toe in the uh, uh, in the in the realm of, of competition agronomy, and as you know, that considers a lot of a lot of travel and what have you. And those guys are those guys are troopers. Now I tell you They they are some of the best in the business, and and they're really great guys to work with. And from that interview process and what have you, I ended I, I had the opportunity to go to TPC Scottsdale in 2015, and what a great experience! That is a uh, That's the largest build out, the largest attendance uh, golf tournament on PGA Tour and on any tour, really. You know, when you I think uh, we in 2018, we had a record attendance of 716,000 people for the week. And and you sometimes wonder how in the heck did we do that? But uh, we did. And it was great experience. You know, this past year. Uh, you know, my family's in Dallas, Texas, my, uh, my, of my sons and, and my father. And, and uh, you know, the opportunity came around to uh, for TPC uh, San Antonio, uh, which was actually a place I had inquired with the tour in, in 2007 when they started to build it. Um, uh, but at the time, it just didn't work that way. What a great opportunity to come back to Texas, be with my family. And, you know, I always wanted to run sure in the state of texas you know i'm kind of a homer you know and and now i have the opportunity and run the valero texas open uh to prepare for it and some of the best in the business and uh i'm really going to enjoy it you know they they, they're uh uh, they're locked in here for the next 10 years so if you stay there for the
0: next if you stay there for the next 10 years robbie then that's going to put you at 48 years (laughs) on the golf course that's awesome that's awesome
1: yeah you know it's a very lofty goal but uh we're gonna make it happen
0: so sure that that's fantastic well you know you mentioned earlier about the 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 competition agronomy so within the, the tpc network within the tour network you have you know, a lot of TPC facilities, and then you have your championships held uh, across the tour. So there's a difference. There's a, there's a, it's the same, same team, but kind of separate departments within the organization. Is
1: that right? That is true. That is true. There's, you know, within the, within the PGA tour agronomy, there's, there's competitions agronomy and there's also TPC agronomy and, and they, they, they're able to cross both lines. Most of the time, uh, if there's an event going at a TPC, it's, it's normally your tour agronomist will be a TPC uh, uh, director. You know, there's uh, four of those guys right now and that are led by uh, Collier Miller uh, that are great agronomists, have been with TPC Network a long time, and, and uh, they do a lot more of the TPC events than, say, the competition events that do a lot of uh, – non-TPC facilities.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting. I think uh, our listeners would be interested to know about that. You know, the, the whole tour agronomist, the advanced week scenarios, all the things that go on leading up to an event such as the Valera Texas Open, I think is really foreign to our listeners. And it's something that, um, you know, we're going to try to to bring forward each week and, and, and talk about. Um you know let's talk about the the valero texas open right now i mean how are you feeling about the golf course about the weather and just kind of in general where you stand going into next week
1: great i appreciate that the uh the one one of the best things that's going on this year is the fact that we've moved into this permanent day the, the texas valero excuse me the valero texas open you know it's it, in the past has moved a week here and a week there and, uh, you know, in Texas, they always say in Texas, wait a minute and the, the weather will change. It, I think we'll be able to better, you know, plan for weather events, uh, having a solid date going Certainly. forward. We've had a, yeah, we've had a, uh, we had one, uh, very right after overseeding last November. I mean, we had, we had seed coming out of the ground and, and we had three of the coldest days that we had all in 2018 and. And so we had to push it, push it, push it, and we, we had a good March coming in. And then uh, March 5th, we, <laughs> we dropped all the way down into, into the mid-20s, and it just kind of set things back. And, and now we're back up in the 80s. So, uh, you know, the, the good thing is, is, is we are fully overseeded this year from wall to wall, basically, from uh, between the natives anyway. And it's in great shape. It's ready to go. You know, the Valero Texas Open is the longest running tour event in the same city in Texas. And I think we're in year 97, I think so.
0: No, I know. You know, this it's a great event every year. The golf course always proves to be fun to watch and, and uh, produces some exciting drama for the viewers. Uh, last year, Andrew Landry was the winner. Uh, the golf course was designed by Greg Norman and... Uh, sergio Garcia i guess was a player consultant i you know that's a interesting fact um you know do you know much about how that
1: relationship
0: worked or didn't work
1: <laughs> i know that uh you really don't hear much about the, the input from sergio a whole lot there you just don't it's a, it's norman's baby uh he, he did a great job here it's a fantastic layout and uh you know they, they decided to carve it out of the native state rock and, and Texas landscape, which you'll, you'll obviously witness on, on TV. It's, it's, it's not what you always see on TV. It's a very rugged environment, you know, just, just outside the rough, it's, it's native yeah. Texas wildland. It, uh, uh, anyway, uh, but in, in, in reference to Sergio, there, there is one T box, uh, that is off all, all to the side on 16, uh, which is a very very well televised hole. It's got the par three with the bunker in the middle of it. <laughs> and there's one tee box here that's referred to as the Sergio tee. And uh, we did use it during the Canadian Tour event we had uh, 30 days prior. Uh, we had a Canadian Tour event there at the end of February, uh, and and we used it. It was uh, a <laughs> the players liked it, but that's 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 about the only reference we hear to the Sergio tee. So.
0: Yeah, interesting. Well, you know what? That I think the the fact that you had a Canadian tour event thirty days before a PGA tour event, I mean, talk about lots going on. You know, and, and you're talking about the weather being a little bit challenging in there. Were you able to use that time frame to kind of rehearse and and prepare yourself? Uh, get you know being at this is your first tournament at this site, uh, even though you've done a bunch of them. Uh, was that tournament helpful in getting you ready for uh, what you got ahead of you here this week?
1: Yeah, you know Kurt, that's a great great reference too and and it really was. My team here is uh, you know all my assistant superintendents uh, with exception to one that was an AIT here when I when I came on board, got five assistants. we had to recruit in an entire new team last summer all the way to my administrative assistant team, and she's brand new. So, wow, you know, we, had, we we brought on a lot of new talent. Uh, we, we recruited a little bit from the network, right? Uh, which is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a great privilege we, we get to have. So you're right. Using the, the McKenzie Tour Canadian qualifier, uh, we ran it just like a tour event would. Four days, split shifts. We treated it as a, as a warm-up for the Valero. Uh, the team just was awesome. They they did remarkable. Uh, you know, so many of the team members had been had been running had been here for uh, you know eight to ten years, so they had an idea of it. But it was a great warm-up, yeah, per se. Yeah. They did a great job, and and the only thing we fought during that time was fog.
0: <laughs> you know, that's the thing for, for our listeners. Golf course superintendents are always fighting something, and when it comes to a tournament. There's always something that pops up that you just didn't plan on, right? So that's that's what makes a good event when you're able to adjust and adapt to something that you had no idea was coming and get through it. So for you, for the Canadian event, it was fog. And hopefully next week, you're you're adjusting to something very minor, right? It doesn't always have to be anything huge, but, you know, something that uh, is easily uh, adaptable to. But, uh, you know, the other thing that you pointed out, I think that a lot of people probably don't realize is... You know, you mentioned split shifts. So when when you're prepping for a tournament or you're in tournament mode, you're out there in the morning and the evenings. You're there all day long monitoring, uh, taking care of things, doing projects around the shop. So, I mean, you're talking about 15, 16, you know, 17 hour days uh, and, and countless in a row. How do you manage that in terms of your endurance? And once you get through it, uh, how do you how do you reset yourself and your staff going forward into the rest of your season?
1: That's a great question. And, and, and you know, here at TPC San Antonio, we have 36 holes, so
0: <laughs> yeah, you're not off the hook. You still got a whole another 18 holes to take
1: care of. We still have a golf course, uh, you know, to manage. On, uh, you're absolutely correct. And you know, I got a great indoctrination when I was at Scottsdale, as we had a. You know, not only do you have the largest intended <laughs> golf tournament going on you had eight o'clock shotguns every day on the other golf course and so um, here in texas it's it's not not any different you know where we, we have the the valero going on, on on the oaks course and up on the uh canyons course we have uh pro-ams and shotguns and everything else so it, it requires a lot of work a lot of coordination and a lot of planning Uh, We usually start our split shifts. uh, We'll start in uh, this upcoming Monday. And that's because we have a pro-am on Monday, practice round Tuesday, pro-am Wednesday, and tournament golf Thursday through Sunday. And we will come in at 4 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. and prep out uh, really both golf courses. Uh, You know, the north course actually for member play, et cetera, and the south course will will relegate to – Mainly, you know, mowing mm-hmm. greens, raking bunkers, and removal of dew. In the evening time is when we really do most of our mowing on the tournament course. Uh, we like to get a dry cut out there and really fine-tune sure. things and then come back in with a lot of hose watering. Uh, you know how we have to we have to ha- uh, water our bunker faces and pack them down so that the next morning mm-hmm. we get a nice, smooth, consistent rake. Uh, so most of the work is really done in the evening on the tournament course and the, the, the following morning is mainly course preparation, whether, you know, we're trying to adjust green speeds, whether that would be a double cut, a back cut, single cut, <laughs> rarely. Uh, know. <yeah. laughs> but you know, the morning is more set up. The evening is more manicure and, and reset for the next day. Um, so. Yeah, that, that's awesome.
0: I, you know, for, uh, those that don't know, uh, to be able to prep for a tournament, it requires just you know a super high level of detail that you just described. That starts at 4:30 in the morning and goes till eight, 8:30 at night, and and then even later if somebody asks you to be on a podcast. But you know to have to have another golf course to to prep at the same time uh, really is a, is a whole other project that that most people would be like, hey, I don't need it. But the fact that you guys are doing it just shows the level. of uh, the level of professional that you have on your team. So congratulations, and and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the event all around. But you know, in terms of your golf course that uh, you're prepping, the, the Oaks Golf Course for the pros, uh, you said that you were wall to wall overseeded. So you've got Bermuda wall to wall, a couple of different types in your fairways and your rough. It's all overseeded with perennial rye.
1: Yeah, uh, perennial rye is eighty percent perennial rye, twenty percent chewing fescue. Okay. Do you think
0: that uh, the chewing fescues hangs on? Do you get to see. Do you see much of that around?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's added in, and it adds a little darker color. You know, you could uh, you could ask the experts to go out there and try to find some uh, fescue in the middle of that rye, and it's not easy to do. But uh, so for you know, for
0: people listening, you know. Perennial ryegrass and chewing fescue are both uh, bunch type grasses and they both germinate really quick and they're both really excellent grasses for overseeding. So a lot of times we'll blend them in some uh, manner uh, like Robbie's done here, 80 percent, 20 percent. So rise to primary surface fescue's there to kind of blend and and, and uh, be opportunistic in areas, maybe in some shaded areas or some areas where it might be required a little bit more. Uh, does that sound about right, Robbie?
1: Uh, yeah it does and and you know that added fescue in is if you you run into cold periods during the winter time that it really it really helps with density mm-hmm. um uh, and kind of for lack of a better term maybe help nurses the rye crop a little bit and just kind of helps it through some of those tougher times in the winter time so yeah well that's going to be uh, yeah. beautiful to watch for everybody this uh
0: this weekend how's the greens doing how what, what did you oversee the greens with and and how you
1: feel about their uh, their current condition? Uh, the greens are the greens are in top notch uh, right now. The uh, the underlying champion Bermuda grass is what we have as a base, and we went with uh, part velvet Pitgrass grass and part Poa trivialis, and really not at that heavy a rate. So that the underlying champion is actually protruding through so it's kind of a mixture in there uh it really makes for a really fantastic surface you know here we don't have to worry about getting to stamp meter readings of 12 and 13 because the one of the biggest things in texas Mm -hmm. is dealing with wind and and these greens if we would have them too fast would actually cause ruling probably issues so you know we get up there around 11 or so etc and and we really concentrate on the quality of the roll more than the speed here, per se. Uh, we want it to be the best quality end-over-end roll that we could get. And that combination of Poa trivialis and velvet Bankgrass really, really makes for a great putting surface when you mix it into about a 50% Bermuda grass cover as well. Amen. Amen. I mean, talking about the quality
0: of the role is what needs to be brought forward. I think in the business, I don't know how you feel, but I, you know, I'm personally sick of talking about green speed when really that's like, you know, number seven on the list for guys like you and me, when we're prepping greens, you know, we're doing a bunch of things. And then the, the, the speed of the, of the, of the ball roll comes at the end. And uh, when you've got great greens, it really doesn't matter because a true 11, 11 and a half is plenty fast. And then when you start talking about things like wind, soil moisture content, various other things that that go into setting up the playability of the green, those are just you know super important facts. And you can't just be working off some number that you're going to write up on a, on a board
1: outside the golf shop. Uh, you know, that's absolutely correct. You know, speed is secondary. If your greens are really good and you've, and you've groomed them to the, you know, to for ball roll speed, you can get any speed you want. No doubt about it. And, you
0: know, you know the I, I cannot wait to watch your event with this velvet bentgrass blend that you've got. You know, velvet kind of comes from the old days. You know, it's uh, not a real, real commonly used uh, bentgrass in the bentgrass world. You know, you'll find it up in New England and upstate New York and some real old clubs. And uh, there's been a couple new places that have tried it, but but it's really obviously I don't know a lot of guys overseeding with it, Robbie. But you know um, you know maybe you've got.
1: It really helps when it gets cold. It really helps yeah. when it gets cold, Kurt. It it, it responds where the poetriv might suck back a little bit, kind of kind of roll a little bit. The Velvet Bent will will kind of fill in there, and and as you probably well know, you know it's related to the old Kohansies. You don't no. hear that anymore, right? So.
0: <laughs> you, you you really don't. And I know we're probably talking over over most of our listeners' heads when it comes to uh, all these different types of grasses, but that's why they're listening. You know, they're here to learn, and uh, we're here to learn too, so from each other, which is what the the whole business is all about. Robbie, it has been great to talk to you. We are really excited for you and your team. We're going to be watching this week and uh, rooting you on, cheering for you, man. It's going to be great. And, um, you know, we'd love to check back in with you a few weeks after you've uh, gotten some sleep and you're, although, you know, that, that doesn't really happen much, but (laughs) Hey, before, before we let you go, I I wanted to ask you just a couple of real quick questions. First being, you know, you've been around the game for a real long time and, and I know you've played plenty of rounds of golf, not as many as most people probably think you do, but, what, what's been the best round of golf and, and score is not a necessary component of the evaluation but uh, what's been the best round of golf that you ever had and where'd you play it and who
1: were you with wow wow yeah, that's we're cool going way back now Kurt um, <laughs> when I was in high school I had I had I had game so uh, I you know my best round was a 65 at at a little town called wellington golf course in wellington kansas and uh yeah, i can't remember who the heck i was playing with that far back uh, <laughs> but it became very apparent that i needed to grow grass and not play golf even with that type of round but uh,
0: oh man i don't know man i think if i had ever in my life sniffed a 65 i might have been trying to uh do the other thing but
1: that's great. That's back when we had the old power-built persimmons and a ballada golf ball and the old the old blade eighty-eight hundred two out there, you know, and playing on a push-up seaside bentgrass greens. It was a and the only yardage marker was a hundred and fifty-yard bush on the side of the fairway. If you were lucky. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But that was my best round. I'm sorry it wasn't with uh, anybody uh, famous or anything like that. Uh, but uh, that's. Wonderful. That's when I played my best.
0: <laughs> well, the, the last question for you, Robbie, is, uh, you know, if you want if there was one thing you wanted our listeners to know about the science and the art of greenkeeping or anything uh, about our profession or about the, the, the business of championship tournament preparation or anything like that, what would it be?
1: Well, I tell you, you know, uh, I was thinking about that and, and – uh, there's actually a couple of members out there that can answer this as well, that, that I, I would urge everybody to understand that we deal with a living organism and how closely related, you know, we we give it a haircut, we give it a drink of water, we feed it, and we take it to the doctor. It ain't that much different than what a lot of times we do to ourselves. And there are organisms and viruses, bacteria, et cetera, that we deal with a lot that, You know, people, lots of times, you know, the layman kind of thinks, well, it's just grass. Well, no, it's a living organism, and it it reacts to sunshine, temperature, conditions, and medicines, and when I I talk about resistance, uh, you know, my best scenario is I, I relate it to antibiotics in humans, and why they no longer prescribe that is because we deal with a lot of the same things, and and that, that, that growing turf grass is a science, it's an art, and it's being a weatherman. And then you throw on budget and everything else on top of that. <laughs> the guy you have down at the maintenance facility is, is probably one of the most well-trained sources of information for your facility that you could have. And, and you really need to tap into his expertise. Well, there is no question about it,
0: and TPC San Antonio is extremely fortunate to have you. Robbie Robinson, Director of Golf Course Maintenance Operations, TPC San Antonio, host of the 2019 Valero Texas Open. Best to you next week, Robbie. Thanks for being on The Course Reports. Wow, what a great interview with Robbie. Robbie wanted to give a shout out to his senior staff members that are super dedicated to the facility and the goals. And he's super proud of having them on his team and all the effort they're putting into the tournament and conditioning each and every day. So to senior assistant superintendent, Jonathan Graham, assistant superintendent, Patrick Parkins, assistant superintendent, Sarah Jackson, assistant superintendent, Ryan Perez, and assistant superintendent, Austin quarter along with the equipment manager, Sam Baldia, and administrative assistant, Vanessa Dorado. Thanks from Robbie Robertson. Well, let's head over to the West Coast to the year's first major on the LPGA Tour in beautiful Rancho Mirage, California, Mission Hills Country Club, the ANA Inspiration, formerly known as the Dinah Shore. We're here with Jared Taylor. Tournament Corps Superintendent at Mission Hills Country Club. Jared, welcome to the course reports.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
0: How is everything going back there in the sunny desert of California?
2: <laughs> living, the, living the dream, as I always say. So we're actually pacing pretty good with where we're at as compared to years before. So it hasn't been as stressful. We're at that point where mo- moisture management is more about anything else we're doing now so
0: right right well cool we're going to get into that but let's talk about you a little bit first so you've been in the Coachella Valley for a long time most of your career tell us about that
2: yeah so I got started in this business as an intern at Tamar's Country Club I spent there for about three years that's when I realized I really wanted to host a tournament down the line in my future and I was a part of the Bob Hope Chrysler Classic I didn't do anything. I changed cups, and I emptied the trash bins. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's where you got to start, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Everyone's got to start there. And then uh, af- after that, I spent a year in the- at the Westin. I went over and built Madison Club with uh, Eric Poles. That was just an incredible experience. You really learn how to manage a golf course when you build one. Um, after, Yeah, after that, I took about four years off. Uh, with my wife and just kind of helped raise the kids for a little bit, got back into the business, went out to Texas for two and a half years at Brookhaven. That's with club Corp. had a terrific time there, but it was never home for us. So we decided to come back and I got in at Sunnylands, the, uh, retreat at Sunnylands. That was a phenomenal experience. And then from there, I moved over to mission Hills.
0: Fantastic. Now, is it true that your first day at mission Hills was on the first day of the 2016 (laughs) tournament?
2: Yeah, that's a funny conversation. Yeah, so I ended up getting the job about a week before tournament week and my boss Drew Kerr at the time at Sunnyland said you just need to get out of here and get over there. And so I had my very first day Monday of tournament week. I in no way take any of the praise and success that we had that year. I really just slung a hose and helped check greens and digested it all. I the to say the <laughs> least.
0: nothing so, like a little baptism by yeah. fire, you know, welcome to your first day. Here's a major yeah. tournament.
2: <laughs> well, da- David Johnson, who unfortunately passed, gosh, it's been two years now, I believe witness. He passed away in 17. So yeah, he, he ran that thing, but it was a pleasure to be a part of it. Yeah. With
0: him. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was to learn from somebody with so much experience, but for our listeners, uh, You know, Golf course superintendents uh, all over the country and all over the world, we all think that where we grow grass is the hardest place in the country of the world to grow grass, right? Because it's just not an easy profession no matter any way you look at it. But I can attest from firsthand experience that the Coachella Valley is a particularly hard place to grow grass. You're growing a a couple different kinds of grass depending on the time of year there. And it might be the hottest place on the on the planet or certainly in the United States for a good portion of the summer months. So this is going to be really interesting. One of the things that I was interested in your take on is we, we were speaking with Robbie over at TPC San Antonio who's from the Dallas, Fort Worth area. And you spent some time there. How would you compare growing grass, uh, growing grass, the types of grasses, the the various challenges uh, between Coachella Valley and Dallas, Texas?
2: In Dallas, you got to be careful with your soil and your water and all that fun stuff. The benefit, though, in Dallas, I was only growing grass year round the same crop. Out here, if you think about it and what we do with overseed, we're in essence doing a full growing each year. And the success of your growing out here is solely dependent on your transition in June. So, I mean, all your hard work in preparing for overseed starts in June. And if you don't get your Bermuda up, you don't get it filled in, you're not going to have a good overseed. And in Dallas, I would say it was easier because you're just dealing with the same crop year round. The challenges, though, with that is anywhere from ice or snow or what have you that you could run into. Plus, I th- would say that disease pressure is much higher. So you
0: got a higher disease pressure, a lot more winter potential in Dallas than you do in Coachella Valley, and then you have the rotation of the crop, which uh, is a whole nother topic. But um, yeah, I mean that's you know that's interesting, and that's the kind of thing that we're trying to do with this program is is bring. That information to the golfer you know as it relates to the overseed in particular you know what's coming up around the corner is the masters and um you know they're doing exactly what you're doing they're overseeding hybrid bermuda grass with perennial ryegrasses, and we'll, we'll get more specific on what you're doing and and so essentially right. it's, it's pretty much the same surface at Augusta National that the players uh, are going to be playing at the ANA Inspiration just on the
2: other S- side. separate from the greens I believe they're bent aren't they? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: But in terms of the fairways and the rough, you know, we're we're talking about the same thing. So for people to think that Augusta is a special little corner and it's 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 exclusive to that golf course, it's really not. It was really a desert no. thing that that has just um, everybody does yeah. every year, and a lot of people don't know that. So you know, that's uh, cool stuff. So let's talk about the tournament for a few minutes. So la- last year. Sure. Vanilla Lindbergh won. Yes, she did. And it's played on the Dinosaur Tournament Course, which is the number one course in the Coachella Valley for I don't know how long. It's 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 the the course and uh, the tournament course uh in the valley. Uh so what's that like working at the, the highest profile place in such a golf rich area?
2: It's a privilege and an honor. I mean, I take it serious. I I value the part I play in golf's history. And it's not just to the ANA, it's also to the other events we host and to the membership as well. I'll tell you that right now. It's something that at times I have to stop and uh, remind myself of. It's a challenge because we definitely have tournament after tournament. We don't even just have the ANA. We have the LPGA event in the middle of August. So that's always a challenge. But to know when you're driving around and you're working and you sit back and you think about things, you realize just what actually has happened on that golf course. It's kind of overwhelmed you at times.
0: Yeah, there's so quite a history special. there. It was built in 1970. Uh, Desmond Byerhead was the architect, and you know he's uh, he's famous for for the for the course you're taking care of as we speak. But he's also famous for uh, working with Jack Nicklaus at Muirfield Village. Have there been any design updates or major projects of any kind uh, since it was constructed in 1970?
2: Uh, nothing major. I know they went through a little redo with the bunkers at one point, restructured them. I know they eliminated a few, added a few. It's always been kind of a here and there kind of a thing throughout the years. Nothing specific or grandiose. The greens are the original ones. So you're dealing with tip green 319, excuse me, 328. And it is, it's literally a hodgepodge of any kind of Bermuda you can think of in the summertime. So there are the original greens.
0: That is interesting. That's it. You know, they're, you know, you know, today today, I mean, can you really I can't really think of I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of them and guys that listen to this program and go, Hey, there's plenty of us out here, but most golf courses have upgraded, if you will, to the ultra dwarfs. Right. But your primary season right. is your or is your program. overseeding season, right? So you're you're using that right. as a base crop and what are you overseeding with?
2: So we overseed with Poetriv. And to say that that's our off season, we don't have one. I mean, we have memberships that's year round. Like I said, we have ANA, AJ, Mountain West. We have the Futures Tour that they all come out from spring to end of uh, summer. But basically, we have the original three three 328, and then we oversee it with Poa Triv. We do use ryegrass as a cover mm-hmm. crop to get it up and shade out the Bermuda and give it some you know time to grow in for the Poa. But basically, you're putting on Poa Triv. So,
0: Poa Trivialis, a rough bluegrass, it's in the blue. It's in the bluegrass family, uh-huh. and, and one of the reasons that it's chosen for overseed is it's got a real fine texture, nice color, a very upright growth habit, and it, it transitions. How right. would you describe the transition? What we mean is how it dies off and lets the Bermuda come back. Is it, is it a problem or challenging, or is it relatively uh, painful?
2: It's how you go about it. I mean, I wouldn't say the turf itself makes it easy. I think it's your management style and how you go about forcing the transition. I do a lot of spiking, a lot of needle tining to incorporate more air into the soil and basically encourage the Bermuda. By the time the ANA comes around, I'm already down to 90, so I'm already basically cutting down into the Bermuda. I mean, if you go out there right now, I'd say I got 30% Bermuda grass on my greens right now. And you just really you keep feeding it. And you start pulling your water back ever so slightly, let it die off, and it just kind of takes care of itself.
0: Right, and so you're cutting very, very low. What's your anticipated yeah. speed for the for the tournament?
2: Our goal every year is to hit 13. Last year we we're up around 13 and a half. Right now we're sitting at the high 11s, but you know we pulled off the gas coming out of some major member events of late, and we're just starting to gear up and start rolling them tomorrow.
0: And for everybody listening, you probably hear all kinds of numbers on TV and at your club. And it
2: doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't,
0: except that a true thirteen is well is is lightning fast. I mean, yeah, I mean that that is about as, as fast as it gets. It's it's major championship speed is what it is. But let's talk for just another second about you know you were just describing the transition right after talking about how you've got events all year long. So how does that right. go when when you really get into that that transition from um, the the springtime into the summer where you're going from your cool season crop to your warm season crop and the golf course is not looking consistent. How does that go with your guest members and, and various people coming through? You know, is it is it something that you hear about, or is it something that you have to spend an extra time amount of time explaining or how, how how things work then?
2: There is an understanding with the membership. They're very understanding. I, I do believe they they trust me. But then again, there's always a threshold for everything. Right. Um, I would say transition's by far more stressful than overseas. And the reason why I say that is if you come up short in a few spots and when you're overseas, you just go out and toss out some sand and seed, you'd be fine. Bermuda, you're you're trying to get it up. And then not only that, you're competing against the summer weeds that start popping up and they see the opportunity of not very good coverage and uniformity. And it could be a struggle at times. And you do get kind of the look every once in a while, but for the most part, our membership understands after we do our airification in late eight, uh, late May, excuse me, you know, things are not going to be the way they were for the, the season. Right. You know, and the
0: hardest part about transitioning in the desert parts of the United States as compared to the southeastern parts of the United States is Humidity, right? So, in the southeastern uh, parts of the United States, you got you got humidity that helps push along the Bermuda. Bermuda likes a wet uh, environment in general, and uh, especially a wet air. air out in the desert. You know what what kind of humidities do you get there? I know the Coachella Valley can get can get humid compared to say the Sonoran Desert. And
2: no, we typically don't get any humidity until the middle of July. Sometimes we'll see it the first of July. It makes it extremely difficult to get that Bermuda going. Because it's dry and it's hot. The ryegrass is petering out. The triv's probably gone by then. You're trying to feed it and get it moving. Unfortunately, it just sits there at times. The thing I've learned is if you can go out there in between groups and just pop the heads on for five or six minutes, you create your own humidity at the base, at the uh, plant surface, if you will. And that seems to me to kind of help encourage it a little bit more. But it makes it more difficult.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting technique you're using, Jared. So you know, for uh, for golfers that are in the desert during the transition time, you see superintendents running some water in the middle of the day. They're trying to create humidity to push the Bermuda right. up through. So that's that's good information for everybody right. to know. How are the fairways and tees and roughs looking for the tournament? You got a nice crop of eye hanging on, or or how do you feel about everything?
2: It's a mixture again. I would say I'm probably 40 percent Bermuda by now on the tees and fairways because I went from. Half inch all the way down. We're at 350 in the fairways, and to match the triplex to the fairway unit, the uh, the bench height the cut for the triplex is at 300 right now. So we are shaving it down to where there's a lot of Bermuda showing. So we're looking pretty good for transition. Well, that's point.
0: that's that is a tight cut. Yeah, it's that's here. a tight cut. So you know, a 0.350 right. 300 is below three eighths of an inch, just slightly above a quarter inch. Right. And so for the everyday golfer, that's hard to hit off. Of. I mean, you got to be a pro to to hit off of that.
2: Yeah. You can't scoop the ball. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You got to hit down on
0: it and, uh, you got to be good basically. So, You know, it's great for transition. How does it look, and and what will the viewers see this weekend when they're uh, watching the tournament on television? Will they be able to tell at all, or is it uh, all pretty much have a uniform color?
2: No, there's no uniformity. Our biggest challenge, and it has been in the years past, and we are certainly going to be developing a better program to combat it, is the POA. So you'll see a lot of POA out there in the fairways and just outside the ropes. We treated everything inside the ropes with proxy game up these last couple of months to prevent as much seed heads as we can. Um, outside, we did not. So you won't necessarily see the uniformity that you'll see at the Masters, to be honest, but you'll see a lot more definition. Whereas the Masters, they cut their rough low. Everything almost seems the same height. You'll see, you know, four or five inch rough out there with a the step cut and tight fairways. Very cool.
0: Yeah. And and when Jared talks about uh, Paul Anya, he's referring to uh, probably the most challenging Grass, weed whatever we you want to call kind of, it is. yeah i mean yeah. it doesn't matter where you yes. are uh it's
2: it's a pr- you know there's a there. few
0: spots where it's treasured and it's a
2: it is so that's on the
0: coast no, yeah, no, no. that's coast. right <laughs>
2: that's
0: right and i know in chicago I, you know spent years and the club spent a lot of money building infrastructure to to not have poe in you. but it just really depends where you are and um it can be a nuisance or it can, it can be yeah. part of it but you know uh Are you working with any uh, tournament agronomists or any uh, pre-advanced team of any kind that help you get things set
2: up? So we deal with John Miller, who's the LPGA tour agronomist. Fantastic guy. He actually stems from Ohio. He's he's just a terrific guy, very understanding. He works with us. He puts a lot of trust in us because I think he believes in us. He comes out in February, checks the place out, does a report. We touch base on kind of what our plan is from there. Um, if there were to be any issues he certainly would help us address it and then he comes out advance week and he's here to assist us in any way we can or we need him or vice versa however you want to say
0: it yeah real team effort and and it is it is you know that's a big part of uh putting on a tournament like that you you mentioned earlier about moisture management water management going into the event and you know the catchphrase of the day is firm and fast. I mean, you hear it at every club and I don't think really many people, you know, know what that means exactly, uh, or they can, can't really put a definition to it, but what are you shooting for and and uh, the team there with the LPGA? What are you guys looking to do? The greens are obviously going to be really fast, but how about the fairways and other areas? You know, how dry are you going to let it get and how firm are you going to let it get?
2: So in the end, <laughs> in the end, my Allegiance, if you will, falls to the membership first and foremost. I will not burn burn the place up. I will not dry it down to where there's nothing for them to play on. So I will not compromise the quality of the course thereafter the tournament for the fact of the tournament. So what I do is I manage it as best as I can to maintain our turf, but keep it as dry and firm as I possibly can at the same time. There's a happy medium. Usually, typically, last year... We were touching high 80s, low 90s, and I was putting about nine minutes on the fairway every night. I have a separate tree program that I run because we have huge eucalyptus trees that take all the water, and everyone wonders why you're watering in the shade. (laughs) You know, you try to explain that one to them. But, uh, you know, greens, you know, we watered last last year. We were doing, what was it? It was five minutes at night, and I was doing two minutes in the morning. Right.
0: Every night during the event.
2: Every night. Interesting. And I believe I believe in the more I believe in the split watering. Personally, I think you do your watering at night. You get the two three minutes in the morning, and in essence, what you're doing is you're wetting down the foliage and especially the crown. If you can keep that crown alive throughout the abuse that it goes through throughout the day, you're going to be better off holding it through the tournament.
0: You know that's the really cool thing about this uh, this program and and what we're trying to bring to all of our listeners is that. You know, they play golf all over the country. It's a global game now. I mean, you go everywhere, and, and, and it's different everywhere you go. There's different techniques for right. growing grass in the Coachella Valley than there is for growing grass in San Antonio, Texas, and, you know, anywhere right. else. So, you know, that's…
2: Well, you're dealing with different species, too. I mean, if you have dwarf, you can pull your water back way, way back and be just fine because they'll come right back for you you're dealing with bent grass or even the trip, once the triv has gone, it's gone. There's no getting it back. Exactly.
0: Do you have any water quality issues at all? Do you have, you know, how's the water quality?
2: We have about the purest water you'll ever get. comes straight from the ground in the aquifer. I mean, this stuff is about as clean as can be. Um, You know, we're a little alkaline, but a little bit, but we don't deal with any of the challenges that a lot of guys deal with water. We have no issues with salinity, nothing. The worst thing we get is some bicarbonates.
0: Right. Right. You know, and that that's the interesting thing about water quality is that there's kind of a push for golf courses to use the reclaimed and reuse water. But the, the requirements for management thereafter with poor water quality can end up costing you a lot of money, can bring on disease, can do a lot of different things. When you find a place with great water, you stay there. You know what I mean? That's that's awesome. Because <laughs> it's there.
2: I'll tell you this much, I do not consider myself in any way a water expert because I've never had to really worry about it.
0: That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, the Coachella Valley is famous for blow sand, right? Which is is the native sand that, that runs through the valley and most of the golf courses there were built on. It's the shape of the particle shape of the sand is relatively flat and it drains slow. So how how does that affect your watering your firmness or is there anything in particular that you could share with us about what that, that material you're growing on is like and how it relates to your management style as, as it relates to the tournament in particular.
2: I actually would disagree. I think it drains actually quite rapidly where we're at. It, it goes right straight through. And I think sometimes we leach a lot of our nutrients, et cetera. That, so our fertilizer doesn't last as long. But where we're situated, we sit right in the center of the valley. You compare us against people up against the mountain, you'll find two different consider, uh, two different situations. A lot of guys out here, You typically they're going to be on the east end or up near the mountains. How does this blow sand really play? In? You know, I can water more than probably more guys. Most guys out here who are up against the mountain and the caliche and all that, just because my water is going to get through faster, so it will dry down a lot faster. That's
0: important. So. The guys that were hosting the Bob Hope, and when you were part of the Bob Hope at, uh, you know, in January, and now here we are, you know, moving into April. What, uh, you know, it's obviously a totally different ball game putting a tournament on now than it is in January. And now you're saying, hey, and you're saying it's different up against the mountains where most of those uh, the golf courses there, most of them are up against the mountains versus where you are. So there's a lot to be considered, a lot for the golfers to know about how the course plays depending on exactly where it is, even in one specific region.
2: Right. Or even the timing. I mean, I'll tell you right now, guys who are running the desert classic, the old Bob hope, they got it worse than I do. Cause they're doing it in the, I mean, you got, the, you got the cold. If you don't get your overseed right the first time, you won't have time to make, you know, make it up. You know, I get it. The prime time situation out here in the Valley. I mean, it's perfect weather, perfect timing, everything. That's
0: <laughs> no.
2: compared to them is what I'm saying. I mean, they got,
0: the harder, harder way. Awesome stuff. Thanks for contributing. I mean, we're all going to be pulling for you and we're all going to be watching. It's going to be a, you know, a really great event as it always is. But before we let you go, Jared, there's a, I'd like to do a couple of quick questions for you. The first one is, and your score is not important. Okay. It can be your best round score wise or whatever, but you know, you, you've been around the game for a long time. What's the best round of golf you ever had? Where was it played? And who was it with? And Like I said, it doesn't have to be about score. It can be about any particular reason why, to you, it was your best round.
2: Back in the day when, you know, honestly, before you get married <laughs> and you have kids and you have extra time on your hands, I played tambores one time, and I actually shot even par. That's the best best score I ever shot in my entire life. I can hardly break 83. Hey. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> so, but do I have a really a memorable round? Not really. I mean – Every round's a blast because usually when I do it, I spend it with good friends. So
0: that's what it's all about. And the second question was if there was one thing you could share with our listeners about the science and art of greenkeeping, what would it be?
2: What the secret is?
0: No, just one thing you want them to know. What, you know, if there's, oh,
2: you could oh, tell
0: them what, you know, what, you know, what's the one thing you want everybody to know about what it is that you do?
2: You got to be passionate, you got to be <laughs> devoted. And, You got to be willing to put in the time and the effort. It it is an art and you realize that you don't know it all. You never will know it all. You just got to do your best every day. Uh,
0: Hey, well, congratulations to you and your team. And again, we're looking forward to watching. It's going to be a fantastic event and uh, we'll all be rooting for for you guys as well as the players to just uh, really enjoy it. And uh, definitely love to have you back on again in the future to, kind of do a follow-up and maybe even talk about some of those other events that you're doing during the summer where they're playing on the, the Bermuda Surfaces. I think that'd be really great to get you back and talk about some would be of, fun. Yeah. So, Hey, thanks again, man. It's been great having you and best of luck next week. Thank you, Chris. Well, that wraps it up for episode three, two great interviews with two great golf course superintendents. We really hope you enjoyed the information that we were able to bring to you today and keep coming back to the course Week after week, we're going to be posting a new podcast. We've got a great master's preview coming next week. Really exciting stuff. Don't want to miss that one. Look for us on iTunes, Google Play, Twitter, Instagram. Share it with your friends. As the old saying goes, pass it around. And a special thanks to Robbie and Jared for being on the program today. We hope you all have a great week. Look for us again. Thanks. And we're out. The Course Reports.